Well, good morning. Hi, everyone again. Good morning. Yeah. Wow, a clap. I didn't even start yet. It'll be turned to booze. Don't worry about it. Hey, uh, it's good to be with you guys again. A few weeks ago, uh, Brady had something come up, and uh, we discussed it uh, last week or so. And uh, I said, yeah, that's a great opportunity. You should do that. So I'll take your, your message. And so I offered to take it for him. And the, the thing that clinched it for me was he was writing a message or had written a message around this big idea that faith in Jesus is much about the journey as it is the destination. It's as much about the journey as it is the destination. Now, if you know, or if you've gone on any of our Keystone High Adventure trips, you know that I am all about the journey. Uh, the destination is an important point. Um, but the journey is what adds the color and the flavor and the tangible experience and the challenges. And some of our Keystone High Adventure shirts even have this embroidered on them. The journey is the destination. And uh, the, the, way, um, the way the journey plays out, the way it builds relationships, the way the journey tests endurance, the way it overcomes challenges, in the journey is where we learn and we learn from experience. Now, my wife is uh, an expert at the journey, and she made a necklace that she loans out to people when they're going through tough times, and that's that one. And I should have it on today because, you know, I'm standing up in front of all you crazy people. Um, it's the journey. And so what she does, though, is she'll, she'll hand it to a friend who she knows is going through a tough journey. And to help, help us see and help them remind them that the journey and how we do the journey makes all the difference. The journey is where life changes. The journey is where we grow. And so I'm a fan of the journey. So I agreed with Brady to take his talk for today. So he gives me his outline for his talk. And then I spend the next few days removing all the Starbucks and Michigan football references. <laughs> I'm left with one sheet of paper. And I replaced him with Big B and Ferris State University. Go Bulldogs! Yeah, all right. Um, so today we get to continue in the series we started called Why Follow? And it's a relevant question at Keystone because uh, it, we are convinced that absolutely everyone should consider following Jesus. In fact, that's why Keystone exists. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. And that's been that way for um, since 1994. And we began a couple of weeks ago uh, acknowledging that um, there's been something going on in the 21st century, that there are many people who can't understand why anybody in their right mind would take Jesus seriously anymore, especially after all the harm that his followers have done in the world. And after all the divisions in the church, and after all the hatred, and all the judgment, and all the hypocrisy, and after all the weird Bible stories that make us want to look the other way and pretend they don't exist because, well, we can't prove them, we can't, it, it just, what, why follow Jesus? And there's a lot of people that ask that question. And to be honest, it is a great question. It's actually the question behind this entire series and why we put this series together. And it's the question that you and I really need to wrestle to the ground. Because if you or someone you love is in a season of deconstructing their faith, I say it is the question that you need to wrestle with. Because in our experience, the question is not one that people consider when they're 
looking at leaving their faith. They're considering other questions. Questions like this. Does God exist? Is the Bible true? Is Jesus the only way to find peace with God? And why would a good God allow humans to suffer? Now, these are really good questions, and they're interesting to think about, and they make great conversation and great debate. But they aren't the question that needs to be answered. That question goes like this. Are the New Testament accounts of Jesus' life reliable? In other words, do they document what actually happened? Because if so, then we really need to pay attention. Because at the end of the four New Testament accounts of Jesus' life, the authors record a single event that makes the story of Jesus worth telling. Without this single event, very likely nobody would have written anything about Jesus. Seriously. So in this series, Brady has been exploring the four accounts of Jesus' life. And one of them that we're focusing on is the one written by a guy named Luke, who is someone I happen to name my first son after. So that's pretty cool. Side note, let's move on. It's a fascinating document, uh, specifically because Luke tells us that right from the top, he is writing something that is not religious literature. He's documenting someone's life, a documentary. And that's why the account uh, doesn't begin with the words, once upon a time, or a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, or come listen to a story about a man named Jesus. I know you're all singing it. I know you are. Uh, instead, he writes this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. In other words, Luke wants his readers to understand that he's not writing this event some 100, 200, 300 years later. He's living during the times that these events happened. And he, if, and he knew that if he wrote things that were inaccurate, it just wouldn't hold up. So he wanted to make certain that he got it right. And he interviewed the actual eyewitnesses to the events that he describes in his letter. And he goes on with this. He says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke addresses the account of the life, the letter that he writes, the account of, Je of Jesus to his friend Theophilus. And he notes that the reason for writing was to prepare an orderly and accurate account of the whole story from the beginning to the end. And he wants Theophilus to have certainty in the things that he's been taught. In other words, he doesn't want Theophilus to put faith in just faith. He wants it grounded in fact. He wants to ground it in events, and the key is that he wants Theophilus to know is that these events actually happened. These events could be collaborated by eyewitnesses and tested for accuracy, so Theophilus, you can rely on this. I've done the work. So before we go on, I just want to note again what Brady noted last week, 
that when Luke was writing this for Theophilus, he had no idea that, well, the letter would go beyond him probably, but he had no idea it would end up in the Bible. In fact, he had no idea there would ever be a Bible because the Bible wasn't put together until the 4th century. Luke is just setting out to tell a friend, here's what happened, and here's the order that it happened. So, Luke starts with Jesus' birth. And you've all heard Charlie Brown tell the story every year of how Jesus was born from Luke 2. And then he fast-forwards to the time when Jesus began to capture the attention of the Jewish people. He writes this. Luke writes, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Now, I love this. As Jesus starts his ministry, everyone likes him. And he seems to like them. And they keep showing up to hear him. And they keep listening. So I'm telling you, when you, if you've decided to be a Christ follower, or you decide some way, someday to follow Jesus, people will like you too. Because they're really cool people. So, side note. All right. That's a conversation for another day. But... Luke goes on and he writes this. At sunset, the people who brought Jesus, he brought the, at the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and laying hands on each one, he healed them. So he's getting quite a reputation. He's becoming a big deal. And as Luke's account continues, he tells us that Jesus now makes his way down to the shores of the Sea of Galilee, of which a number of you will be with us there on Uh, later in October, which will be pretty exciting. The event then occurs on the Sea of Galilee that I want to focus on today. And Luke writes this. One day as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. All right, so Luke doesn't give us a ton of detail here because his original audience would have known exactly what he was talking about. They see fishermen on the Sea of Galilee all the time. It's just like you or me saying, um, I went to Starbucks at, oh, shoot, there I went. I took Brady's. We went to Big B. All right, sorry, didn't mean to use one of his. Um, but it's mid-morning, and the shore on the shore of Galilee are these fishermen there, and This particular day, they've been fishing for the whole night. Uh, And they fished at night because that's when the water was cooler and the fish come to the top and their nets don't go down very deep, so they fish at night. Uh, And um, typically, after the night's catch had been hauled back in, the women would clean the fish while the guys would pull the boats up on the shore and they would spread their nets out and they'd begin to repair the nets that were eaten, broken, or, or ripped, and then they would dry them all out and get them ready for the next day. But the past night wasn't a typical night. There was no fish to clean. They'd been out fishing all night, and Peter, who owned this particular boat, Simon Peter, got skunked. Zilch. No fish. Nothing. And he's tired. And he is frustrated. And he's wondering if this career that he chose is even the right career, because he's had it. And apparently, as the other guys were getting their boats all ready to sit for the day, 
Uh, Peter's standing there sulking, and Jesus walks up. He approaches the boats, and he got into the one owned by Simon Peter. And instead of reading the passage in Luke and read to you how that all goes, uh, I decided to do something different. There's a uh, show that you can watch online called The Chosen. And um, I had often wondered through a lot of my life why Christians only write cheesy Christian movies and they're just no good to watch. Can't we write a quality kind of a show? This is it. Uh, The Chosen is a well-done, non-cheesy story of Jesus' life. And it really makes it come to life. So what I want to do is show you about a four-minute clip of how they took this story and made it come to life. And then we'll dissect it in just a minute. So watch this. For this, Andrew. It's him! Simon! It's the man! John said he's here! Right now! May I ask a favor? I'm teaching these people, and apparently they're having trouble hearing me. If I could stand on your boat, that would be helpful. They're having trouble hearing you, huh? Yes, yes, of course. Please, please, stand on our boat. Thank you. I need to go. I'm sorry. No time for this today. Stay a few moments longer. I have something for you. For me? Uh, I'm in a hurry. Yes, I know. Just allow me a few moments. Please. Sam, trust me as I have trusted you. This man is the Messiah. It's good to see you again, Andrew. Yes. I'm Jesus. Thanks for this. Simon. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Let's go! Let's go! 
way better than just reading it. So Jesus asked Peter to stop his work and allow him to stand on his boat. And, and Peter does, and Jesus starts to address the crowd, and the crowd's assembled on the shore, and right then, he's got Peter right here. He's got him as a captive audience. And after Jesus is done addressing the crowd, he turns to Simon and says, he asks him to do something. He invites him to take a step. He invites Simon to do something that Oh, it's something he could easily do. It's not a big, a big step. Just put your net out. That's it. The same nets that were empty all night long. And now if you think about it, what Jesus was asking Simon to do was totally doable. But it was also unreasonable. I mean, Simon's thinking, dude, <laughs> we've been at this all night and we're tired. And we're well on our way to getting ready to prepare our nets and the boats for the next day. We've already fished when we were supposed to fish at night when the water's cooler at the top. It'd be a colossal waste of time to throw our net out. So he's spinning through all that in his head. And then he looks up at the people who are around, and they're all watching with their eyes riveted on Simon Peter. <laughs> What's this fisherman going to do? I mean, Jesus asked him to do something pretty cool. See what happens. And so Simon turns and, with respect, pushes back on Jesus. But he knows the reputation of Jesus. But respectfully, he says this. Master, we worked hard all night. And we haven't caught anything. But, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so. Because of who you say you are, I will take your invitation, follow what you're asking, and let down my net. This statement, because you say so, I'm in. It's no exaggeration to say that that statement has the potential to change your life. It really does. Because for some of you, if you're honest, you're actually wrestling with something that you know God's inviting you to do, a step that he's inviting you to take. And you haven't done it because, well, it's going to cost too much. I'm, I'm worried about what other people think. I, but you know there's something in you. There's something gnawing in you that says this is something that God wants you to do. 
And I'm telling you, your response to that tension and how you deal with that invitation has more potential for good than you can possibly imagine. I know that because of the items in my life that Jesus has invited me to that I've had to wrestle with, some of them I knew that's what God wanted me to do. Eventually I did on some of them, not all of them, but some of them reached a moment where I said, yes, and I just did it. Because you say so, and I'm in. And now in hindsight, I'm so glad that I did. My life is in a much better place because of it. And I wonder what I missed in impact when I said no. For me, the call to do something often starts here. Yeah, I know it's kind of big, but it starts with a gut ache. Something's just gnawing away. And then I can't get it out of my mind. And then it often starts to, to break my heart. And you're going to hear about one of those um, next week when we talk about some initiative we're getting into. But, and if I pay attention over time, I begin to discern. And, and granted, some things are a lot quicker than other things because I'm a pretty stubborn, thick-headed male. Um, but I eventually will discern what God is asking me to do. Or maybe more accurately, I come to terms with what he's asking me to do and finally decide to do it. For other people that I'm close to, it works in different ways. It comes through extensive journaling and quiet time in a chair, or through quiet times in the woods, or through wise input from others, or dreams that they've had that they're starting to dissect and think apart. Or it's something that's unique to your journey. And it would be so wise for you to try to get a handle on that and understand what that is and try to embrace that and say, how is it that God engages me in my journey and how can I pay attention to that? Because Jesus wasn't asking Simon to believe that day on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He was asking him to do to do something, just to take a step, a small step, a reasonable step of faith. And then Jesus, he knew that if Simon would say yes, Jesus knew that it would change his life forever and he could do something with Simon. And can you imagine what was in the balance at that moment? I mean, if Simon had said no, he would have died, he would have been forgotten and Jesus would have never had re a reason to rename him from Simon, which was his given name, which means he has heard, to Peter, which means the rock. Because, all because, he said yes. One of the most beautiful structures on earth is St. Peter's Basilica and is dedicated to St. Peter. It's in the Vatican City. It was built over Peter was killed, and it took over 120 years to build. My point is that we never know what hangs in the balance of our decision whether we follow Jesus or not, whether we accept his invitation or not, whether we take that nudge and move with it or not. We never know what God is going to use that for. Maybe it's a simple word or a gesture or a helping hand or a word of truth or a display of love. We just don't know the impact. So as Luke continues, he summarizes what happens over the next few hours in a single sentence. He writes this. 
when they had done so. Not when they had believed so, when they had done so. Luke wants to understand that faith in Jesus is an active faith. It's a living faith. In other words, if you want to experience God in your life in a cool, powerful, deeper way, then your faith just can't be an emotional, internal, quiet thing that just hides out somewhere. It needs to live. It needs to come through in your hands. It needs to be something that engages God's activity in your life and in your relationships. Luke would say that everything changes when we've done that. In fact, in Peter's case, he said, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so Jesus has that capability, as we saw, to change nature itself, like calming the waves and the wind. And he shows that he was God in a human body, and therefore he had authority even over nature. And when these men in the boat realized that they were in the presence of holiness, well, let's read it. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. In other words, Jesus, if you knew the kind of man I was, you wouldn't want to be anywhere near me. You surely wouldn't invite me to do things on your behalf or to represent you, or to just engage in the journey of other people because I am a messed up, sinful man. Because I think, like some of us, Peter assumed that God distances himself from sinners. That God puts sinners over here. And he stays over here. Because that's what he's been taught his whole life. And maybe... Maybe you've been taught that too. But, and I think this is why Luke recorded the story, as it turns out, not only does God not distance himself from us, God has come near to us. God came so near to Peter that he stood on his boat and he invited him fishing. He came so near that he invited himself into a tax collector's home named Matthew to hang out with him. And Luke wants Theophilus to understand the incredible reality that God comes near, that he came near, and that he liked people who were nothing like him. And they liked him back. And then Jesus, he looks at Simon, and he says this, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. (laughs) You don't need your nets anymore, man. You're going to fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and they left everything, everything, and they followed him. And historically speaking, do you know what Peter did? For the rest of his life, he fished for people. And because he did, you and I know his name some 2,000 years later. So... What does all of this have to do with us today? What does this have to do with why we should follow Jesus? Well, I'd argue that when Jesus died on the cross, the invitation to follow him went to every person everywhere. 
And I think Peter would say to us, Keystone friends, when you say yes to something that you know God is inviting you to do, Peter would say, something's going to happen inside of you, just like it happened inside of me when I decided to follow and throw the nets down. And now I know that following Jesus can be, it can be inconvenient. I left my boats and everything over there. But I'm telling you, refusing to follow Jesus will be more inconvenient down the road. In other words, Peter would say following Jesus is always going to cost you something, but refusing to follow will cost you more. It's the journey that we're invited into. And personally, I've become a big fan of the journey, uh, and I'm less infatuated with the destination. The destination's important. It can and it must inform the journey and the direction of that journey. But the journey is a simple path that we take to the destination. It's really not that big. It's just the path. A few weeks ago, I, um, I lost my dad to cancer. And nobody said how impressed they were to me that dad believed in heaven. They all talked about the difference that he made in their lives. They told the stories of how dad's journey intersected with their own journey. So many things we never knew, like giving birth to a, or helping a woman deliver a baby. Uh, on, he was a police officer, so he delivered a baby uh, alongside the road. And then a few years later, he gets a call that a child wasn't breathing. He resuscitates his child and then learns it was the same kid he delivered years ago. You go, how does this stuff happen? He didn't have much of a talking faith. He had a doing faith. And the doing rose out of a belief he had to make a difference. And I understand even more so now that it's one thing to believe in heaven, but it's another thing to do, to bring a piece of heaven to earth today. Don't let that heaven be the thing out there, but that God's desire for you and I is to individually and collectively through his church bring grace and love from heaven to people's lives today on earth as it is in heaven. And the only way to do that and to accomplish that is to do, to integrate our faith into the daily journey of our lives and in the relationships around us. Because the journey is where we learn, where we grow, where we spread our wings, where we make an impact, where we experience the up and downs, where we learn from our failures and from our excesses, when we build our character, where we learn to trust, where we learn to love, and where we learn to forgive. And you may have your doubts about the Bible, about Noah and Jonah and Samson and the 300 flaming foxes that ran and burned down the city. Is it literal? Is it imaginary? Is it a parable? Is it... Whatever your answer is, each one of those stories is recorded to show us that the God of the Bible does never give up on his kids. And he keeps pursuing us in order to have a relationship with him. It's a picture of God's own journey of doing. Doing what it takes to win our hearts 
and what it takes to win our minds to him. Here's a true statement. You don't need to believe in everything or understand everything to follow something. In fact, a few years ago, when we were sitting around as a staff, I think it was 10, 12 years ago, we started to share stories about how we became Christ followers in the first place. And most of our staff started to follow Jesus, not because they first believed in him or had it all figured out. Rather, they were, did it out of doing something with people who were trying to make this world a better place. Serving shoulder to shoulder with other Christ followers who are already on the journey of following Jesus. Following often precedes finding Jesus. Doing often precedes believing and I sure don't have everything figured out. I know Brady doesn't have it figured out. We sit in our offices and we talk about this stuff and we wonder and we share differences and we look at different viewpoints. And there's plenty of grace at Keystone here in this place to hear your concerns and your thoughts about faith and to explore them together and to take whatever appropriate step is next. Because in this place, we're going to major in the majors and we're going to minor in the minors. And what are the majors? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which gives him all the authority to challenge us, to command us, those who say we follow him, to do this. Jesus commands, said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, my followers, my kids, if you love one another. And that's why I'm absolutely convinced that following Jesus is better. There's a difference between a journey that is hollow and a journey that is full. A journey that in the end, when people are in your visitation line, they can't help but share how you've impacted their journey, how you made this world a better place. They share that. You make an impact on people's lives, and we do that best by following Jesus. So before I let you go, I just have a question for you. What is your next step? What is God inviting you into? Is it to follow him? Is it to take a step that is easily doable, but it is a step of faith to just engage with this one person, follow this nudge, challenge somebody to do something, challenge yourself to do something? Maybe take two minutes of quiet time in the morning and wonder, what is your next step? And when it comes to doing, do it. And when it comes to doing something for others, I have a hunch it's going to have something to do with that verse. How are you going to love somebody to see Jesus and make this world a better place? Whatever that is, I plead with you to take it because you never know what hangs in the balance of your decision. If you've had some thoughts during the message and want to share that with somebody or you'd like someone just to pray for you, you've got some things going on in your life, there'll be couple people here under the screen to do that with you. 
And uh, now as we're wrapping up, I just want to invite you, if you're able and willing, to stand. And I'd love to close us in prayer. Dear Jesus, we remember the words that you said to your followers some 2,000 years ago, that you have come so that we may have life and have it to the fullest. So if you are indeed the source of that life, if you are indeed the one that wires us, the one that knows how we're built, and the one that knows our emotions, the one that knows what we need to be doing to take steps to make this world a better place, give us the courage to listen to it. Give us the courage to listen to your invitation as we move along our journey. And allow us to hear those, pa- those nudges and to pause and to move and to engage or maybe to avoid or to just be still and listen. Give us the courage to say yes so that we don't miss out on the great adventures that you have in store for us. You invite us to follow you, to test you, to try you, to experience you, to, and in doing so, we might believe in you and really follow. Not because someone said to believe in you, but because you have begun transforming us into something beautiful and impactful, someone who makes this world a better place, and someone whose shame is being replaced with a tender love for you and those around us. Give us courage to do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.